everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. We're on episode 43. Uh, I'm Evan. And I'm Tom. And welcome, wherever you're listening from. I hope you're having a great day. Uh, I'm glad that you can join us on this very special episode where we are recording in person for the very first time. It Uh, is very first time. It's very exciting. Tom's very excited to be here. Uh, and see a proper setup for uh, recording a podcast. This is the best <laughs> podcast studio I've ever been to, I swear to God. Which says, doesn't say a lot. Okay, anyways, on today's episode, Tom, what are you going to give us on your news headline? Yeah, so a couple of days ago, a couple of people sent me a link about this miracle cancer drug that was administered to a group of people and all of them uh, went to, yeah, they, they got rid of the cancer. Yeah, I heard you, you had mentioned this previously yeah uh but i didn't have a time to look at it properly but this time uh i did and i just want to talk talk a little bit about it and maybe people can see that is this is not a drug to cure all the cancer or a miracle drug it's just so far the clinical trial showed this sort of results so yeah just want to put some light on it cast a skeptical eye on it as we do here on this (laughs) podcast yeah, and today I'm going to do the main story, and uh, I talk because John, Tom is home and he's doing his PhD in gene therapy. I would have, give a brief run-through of gene therapy and focus on specifically on a gene therapy for treatment of sickle cell anemia, um, this new, uh, new field that's been um, kind of opened and explored because of gene therapy and how we can design treatments. So kind of see what the benefits are and also some of the risks. So I think it'll be quite interesting and it'll be interesting to get a feedback from Tom, who's an expert in this area. So, well, I'm the expert in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if I answer all of my questions correct, can I get my PhD already? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll give you a a, 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 a fake PhD. And, and a pint of Guinness later. A pint of Guinness later. Nice yeah. one. Yeah, okay. okay, yeah. Um, yeah, but and before we get into your news headlines mm-hmm. um do you want any how are you feeling you're happy to be home anyways you're back in ireland now for the first time since christmas since christmas yeah it's uh, very happy it yeah. was a, it was a long drive well drive it was a long traveling, traveling from yeah. netherlands to dublin uh thank you guys for picking me up no worries uh, that was really nice of you and uh, we parked up um near the airport and we were watching all the planes come in so it wasn't too bad we were able to yeah yeah you did the, the three hours went by Three hours, yeah. It was barely. I I didn't notice them at all. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but overall, I think it's gonna be a great because I'm here for a week. It's gonna be great. Later yeah. after the podcast, we go into a birthday party, and then a few days next in the next few days we have a concert. The three of us are going, so that's gonna be great. And then yeah, back to the back to the Netherlands. But I hope I'll be fresh and and ready to keep pushing. Yeah, nice. And uh, yourself? Yeah, I I'm good. Like. Um, I was just thinking of um my my maybe my my put on the block or the um my bugbear of this this episode. Um <laughs> do you know what that means though? <laughs> no. no. Well I just my weekly my rant for the episode. My rant for the episode, basically I was just listening to Spotify and to Spotify in general, I don't know, it's kinda maybe ruined i don't know ruined maybe too big of a word but i suppose it is great for finding new artists but at the same time i find at the moment 
because um, I listen, I listen to Spotify a good bit mm-hmm. during the day, and I'm like these. This week, I was like, I was just getting so sick of all the playlists they had recommended and all the songs. It was just like this is the same stuff I listen to all the time. Like they don't really give you anything mm. new, anything different, and I can see like how people don't really find. Um, they just end up settling to their old music and never try and listen to anything new because of the way Spotify algorithms work and they just completely I noticed rec- that as well. recommend the same stuff all the time and you end up never really trying to find anything new um, and it was only when I looked at an old playlist I had and I looked through all the songs I was like oh well these are great songs and like it has never recommended these to me in ages it just keeps regurgitating the same stuff I've always listened to so I don't know I suppose Spotify has changed how we all listen to music something we just have to deal with but it's kind of, um, and I suppose back in the day, it used to be that it was the radio stations that would dictate how new songs got released. But yeah, it's just kind of like, um, it's a pity how you, it really, you really just like stay in what you want to listen to. It doesn't really push you. You have, you have to be an active listener. You can't be just passive. You have to consciously choose yeah, what kind a, of songs you yeah, want to listen because yeah. you, can, you can fall into this comfort zone and let the algorithm do all the work exactly. and they're just going to... If you've, you've been listening, if you like a song and you've been listening to it, like, let's say, for a couple of days nonstop because you like it so yeah. much, then the algorithm's just going to pick that up and just going to give you all the songs that, like, look, fam- sound familiar to it. Yeah. And maybe the other ones that you like, but you haven't listened yeah. so intensely to, they I just go at I the bottom. I suppose with the music, it's not like, if you like one type of music, you're not going to automatically, some people just don't automatically love that type of music. They just like some songs in that genre. Mm-hmm. Um yeah but i don't know i suppose it's not like I, i'm not saying what can you do to change it but i'm just saying yeah we should your life is so hard so hard uh <laughs> when i'm this is what i have to think about on the podcast like give out about but you know what uh ever since i got my uh military letter to, to, go, to go to the army where <laughs> yeah. i didn't i didn't go after all but sorry but i kinda, you, uh, did a trump on it <laughs> I, it, it, it has awakened my uh, patriotic spirit okay and i've been listening to a lot of kind of war songs oh, in, in polish and that's uh that's what my spotify algorithm oh, is wow. recommending me like they're like what what is this dude <laughs> these are all like these songs written the in w- like 18th century oh when the poland was like fighting the you know the um, russia and the <laughs> prussia and everything and they just kind of these songs like they pick you up and go die for your country <laughs> so oh, wow. i've been walking around the lab listening to crap like that <laughs> imagine actually it was funny i was listening to like when i was i don't know it's such a banger though barbie girl by aqua and uh it was listening to my car and i think i was this i was just like singing and then i seen the guy must have seen me singing yeah. in my car and he was like staring over at me <laughs> and then when i got home for some reason, uh, when I got out of the car, the phone just automatically started playing that song out on my loudspeaker. And I was like, and I, co- I was like, what the hell? Why is it playing this? And I couldn't, it wouldn't let me pause. And I, I was like, oh my God. And I had to like go open my phone and actually physically swipe to close Spotify. It's like, God, that, imagine someone heard that. It, it is. I wouldn't really care. I like feck it. It's a good song, right? Here, make no mistake. This is what you're going to listen today yeah. later on in the car. Definitely. Uh, but it is a banger. When I was doing my placement in Galway, uh, <laughs> me and Leanne, she's, she, we used to do the placement together as friend. a medical scientist. That was our song. We were singing it in the, okay. in the lab together. Yeah, it was great character. Good memories. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. On that note. On that note about music and Spotify. Yes. Um, 
Is there any segue to your <laughs> new stories? I don't know. <laughs> mm, uh, yes, because we were doing internship in the hospital, and today oh, okay. I will talk about cancer patients oh, yeah. and Dostarlimab. Very smooth. Yes, that's what I do. I'm very smooth. <laughs> so, yes, today's news headline is Dostarlimab, uh, and I'm going to re read you a couple of uh, news headlines um, that came out from Independent, the New York Times, and CBS News. Once, uh, the once the trial results were announced. So independent, um, the English independent said, all cancer patients in drug trial appear to be cured for the first time in history. New York Times, a cancer trial's unexpected results, remission in every patient. So yeah, when you'd see that, you're like, oh my God, this, we can cure every type of cancer with this drug. Like. That, that's it, yeah. Uh, C CBS News. Every patient in this experimental <laughs> drug trial saw their cancer disappear, researchers oh, say. Uh, this so is the type of clickbait that just, it does more damage, I think, than anything. Because people, any cancer patient seeing it is like, oh my god, I, I, I could get this drug and I'll be cured. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's misleading. But I, I, I love I, when they add like, they, they make this quote and then at the, sen at the end they say, researchers say, yeah. like this validates everything, <laughs> you know, it's research. We don't, we didn't say it. No, the researchers said it. But anyway, the, the trial for the Dostarlimab was a small trial. So that's the first thing. It was a small trial. It's not every single cancer patient in the world. It was a small drug conducted in US. The team in charge initiated phase two study in which single agent Dostarlimab which is a monoclonal antibody, was administered every three weeks for six months in patients with stage 2 and 3 rectal adenocarcinoma. And the primary endpoints are sustained clinical complete response 12 months after completion of dostarlimab therapy or pathological complete response after completion of dostarlimab therapy with or without chemotherapy and overall response to neoadjuvant Dostarlimab therapy with or without chemo chemotherapy. So, so basically, they wanted they wanted to check after twelve months how these patients were doing. Uh, if they got chemo or not chemo, and with if they it. got chemo and not chemo with it. Obviously, your drug is doing fantastic if you don't need uh, like a chemotherapy uh, as a side as a oh, side yeah. therapy. You know, because chemo in itself uh, could be really difficult on a patient. And so, <laughs> this is this is good. <laughs> a, a total of 12, 12 patients have, complete, uh, have completed treatment with dostarlimab and have undergone, that have undergone for at least six months. And all 12 patients uh, had a clinical complete response with no evidence of tumor. And it, is, it, is, it was gone. That's, like, that's great yeah. news for those, yeah, yeah, for yeah. those patients, right? But it was, a small, uh, it was a small trial. It was just 12 people. Yeah, just to like, let people realize like 12 people, is, yeah. you could easily... Like that could be pure coincidence that they just all happen to go into remission because of the drug. Like that, it doesn't mean anything. You would need way more number to rule out that it's just a coincidence mm. or some other uh, confounding thing could happen that would mean that the drug worked in these patients or it appeared to work. And what what is also what I found misleading a little bit is that they say that all twelve. They, they made it look like there was 12 patients in the trial oh, and yeah. all 12 of them went into remission. Whereas actually it was 16 patients yeah. that were administered the drug, but 12 went already to remission and the other four are still ongoing. Yeah. And this was definitely a, like a press release by the company 
Uh, we got a press release. The trial was published in the New England. Oh, it was published. Sorry. It was. It was, okay. uh, but I, it was. It was a case study because it was so small oh, and so right. quick. It was a case study, so it wasn't even like. So a, this, yeah. Okay. Uh, but it was published. This it was is like a phase review. one trial, then, is it? Uh, uh, phase two. Phase two. Uh, you would think yeah, they initiated more for a phase two. Like. See, dostalimab initially was designed for a different type of cancer. Oh, okay. It wasn't. It wasn't meant. Wasn't meant to be for rectal adenocarcinoma. I think it was esophagus cancer. Right. And then they just. I think they just uh, not reprogram, but re uh, repurpose it for the um, uh, for the rectal study. cancer. Yeah. So, um, but but you know, nevertheless, okay, twelve people don't have cancer. And you know, um, did you read the paper? Yeah. And was there much slide effects, or was it pretty? No, they were. They all. It was. It was literally a one-page PDF case report. <laughs> so there was. There wasn't that much detail in it. So there was no. It was a couple of images. Uh, and and. Uh, so and, it was tolerated pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as I said, the devil is in the de. Well, I didn't say that, but now I'm saying it. The <laughs> devil is in the details. The positive results have only been seen in twelve patients so far. We know that the trial is ongoing, and all of these patients. Shints had uh, a tumor with genetic mutation called mismatch repair uh. deficiency, which is seen in the subset of approximately five to ten percent of rectal cancer patients. So even if this drug is this miracle miracle drug that is able to put people in remission, which is great, we're not saying we're not trying to put it down or anything, but you have to first qualify to be a responder yeah. for this drug, right? You know, you have to have this specific. Mismatch, mismatch repair deficiency mutation oh. and what it is basically it's a it's a piece of den- genetic code that codes for proteins that are able to repair uh, broken dna as we all know dna is double stranded and sometimes mistakes happen sometimes dna gets uh, broken up and stuff like that and you need this uh, repair mechanism mechanism to be in I, place i did my literature thesis on this mismatch repair so yeah so you know all about yeah. the mismatch repair. they're really interesting though well if this works in these patients there's a it's called cmmrd it's a constitutional mismatch repair deficiency it's when so with this this uh it's called lynch syndrome when you're deficient of one of them mm-hmm. so you're more likely to develop cancer which is um your colorectal cancer uh if you if you um deficient of two of the uh genes if they're if it's a, a mutation in both of them it, it's called cmmrd and it affects kids and they they're more likely to get brain cancer, oh, wow. leukemia, and stuff like that. So if this actually could work in them, that, um, and there's no way of treating this as well because it's it's so, like, lethal. Um, but if it can work in these patients, well, then you would be like, oh, well, maybe it could work in these other kids. It's it's very rare for it to happen because it's, yeah, generally they die so young. Jeez. Um, is but, it yeah. because the mutation is some how incompatible with life or is it just because it's fast progressing so it will it would always leave to well some of them it's incompatible with life some of them it's just because it causes the onset of cancer so quickly and um it's very hard to treat them because generally a lot of these cancer drugs it's caught you causing you're intentionally causing damage to the to the cell Mm -hmm. to get it to just be destroyed but like they don't have that enzyme right repair or like to know that so um, it end up, it ends up, but they, 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 that kind of drug doesn't work for them. Um, so yeah, it just kind of be, it can be very, uh, tricky to treat them. So yeah, it, it it's great to see. Like I, I do think immunotherapy was the, is the way with these these kind of patients anyway. So yeah. to see, um, 
yeah to see this would be is really interesting and and speaking about uh, immunotherapy i just i just wanted to look a little bit closely into dostarlimab and see what exact how what exactly this antibody is targeting against so dostarlimab is an anti pd1 monoclonal antibody oh yeah pd standing for program dead one which is a protein that forms a complex with pd uh, l1 which is a program dead ligand one and this is expressed on the outside of tumor cells and it's fascinating. It acts as a shield from the immune system, telling immune cells that they should not attack the tumor cells, mm. allowing it to grow and divide and in the future, of course, metastasize. It may sound like a wholly unhelpful protein, but it prevents T cells from attacking other cells that they shouldn't. So it, it, it has its role in the, in the physiology of, the, of a human being. Cancer cells can co-opt the PD-1 for nefarious uses, allowing them to fly under the radar of the immune system. And upon discovering this pathway, immunotherapies that inhibit PD-1 have been theorized, which would unlock the potential of the T cells to recognize and destroy cancer cells. And the very last thing that I want to say about this is that back in 2018, a Nobel Prize in Medicine uh, and Physiology mm -hmm. was awarded to Tasuku Honjo and James Allison for the discoveries uh, in cancer immunology and was actually Professor Honjo uh, who was awarded due to his discovery of the program that molecule PD-1 on the T-cells. Mm -hmm. yeah. So on that note, I will conclude my yeah, yeah, news no, I, I, we It's like a huge, it's called checkpoint inhibitors. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's like the big, the big thing now in cancer to try and target this because like, yeah, the way it, these cancers work or these tumors work is that they because your immune system, I don't think people realize your immune system is actually capable of destroying cancer cells. Like that's how it, it's always doing that. But somehow the tumor managed to evolve to dampen the immune system mm -hmm. or the in the in the environment so that it doesn't get destroyed. So if you want to switch back on the immune system and get your immune system to start attacking the the cells, that's that's what you want to do. So I think that's what the the huge research is going into right now. Um, I think they do use this for like leukemias as well, um, but they reckon it's very, it's very harsh. It, like it has a lot of side effects. Right. Um, but yeah, I suppose like it's still better than nothing, I suppose at the moment. Like chemotherapy is just so inefficient, really. No, well, it was a good start uh, when we had nothing else. Yeah. That's why we are here. Yeah. That's why we are exposing this, uh, <laughs> these truths, you know? Yeah, hitting people with the facts. We are the superheroes. <laughs> like the boys. We're the real superheroes, not the doctors. <laughs> no, the also two, on a podcast. Two lads behind the computer. Yeah. Two superheroes. <laughs> but no, it's it's interesting. Hopefully, hopefully the more uh, they can do a larger trial, see how it works. Hopefully they can identify the subpopulations it would work in. And uh, yeah, um, it can be, yeah, guests on the market like pretty soon um for them people so yeah, yeah. can i just uh, clarify one more thing yeah uh am i batman and you robin or are you batman <laughs> and uh, am i a robin I, uh, I do look great in red tat red tights by the way so i can take the robin man yeah but i don't think i would want to be batman to be honest okay well that's the <laughs> superhero team <laughs> destroyed even before it started batman yeah no I don't know. Is there any, like... Oh, I don't have to... I, look, I'm not going into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm trying to set a trap for you. Yeah. You activated my trap cards. 
Alright, Yogi. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um Okay. Well I'll move on to my Yes, uh, please do story. Please yeah. do tell me, yeah. Um so yeah, as I said, I wanted to mention talk about gene therapy for the main story. Um just to kind of give people an overview. I think there was um a program on or uh, Irish telly about it was called Dublin Live it was at the hospitals and they were talking about these new therapies that can be used to treat a few diseases and it was very promising and I wanted us to kind of uh, and a, a few of them were gene therapies and I was wanted to go further into it see what's what's the current field like um and the fact that John, Tom is home I was like I'll give him a nice story that he knows stuff about because generally he has never a clue what I'm talking about. Girl, I'm sweating now. <laughs> um, and I think it's a nice, uh, just to give let the audience, our audience know just what's going on in gene therapy, I think. Um, is, it the, is it the miracle drug? Because I think everyone who does uh, science in college always goes on, covers gene therapy. And it's always like on the verge of like going to treat everything. And it's like, I just wanted to let people know, well, what, where are we at? Are we mm-hmm. as close as we are? Um, are we still on, constantly on the verge of something that that's just what I wanted to see yeah um, is it all hype are we anyone who did a PhD in gene therapy is it all for nothing <laughs> <laughs> where is that no it's not for nothing <laughs> no. I, I know things you know things okay so yeah after years of disappointment and built up hype gene therapy is now kind of undergoing a renaissance with several high-profile drug approvals and a string of promising clinical trial results against devastating genetic diseases, um, including sickle cell disease, which I'm going to cover in more detail, mm-hmm. uh, and some blood cancers. So just for people to know that um, gene therapy is generally for these people who inherit genetic diseases that, um, and it's generally like where it's just a small mutation that is causing this uh, profound effect on the person. Um, mostly in the in the monolily case in the, yeah in the, mon- in the simple Mendelian uh, diseases yeah exactly yeah. yeah it's pretty there's only one gene that's affected um so yeah I, I'll yeah as I said I'm going to go into detail about sickle cell because I think it's quite interesting what the researchers they're doing right now in it um but it's also important to note that as researchers attempt to develop treatments for these conditions they also have to work out how to cope with worrying signs that's immune responses could hinder efforts and generate side effects. So just to kind of give a whole picture. Um, safety is a, a primary concern in gene therapy research, um, particularly after the, the death of a gene therapy trial participant and the discovery of gene therapy linked cancers around the turn of the century. And it ended up kind of decimating the field, like a lot of people closed clinical trials and investors pulled away uh, money from the this field because they thought that we weren't really gonna it it was kind of a false hope that it it was it was just never gonna really work out with these gene therapies a lot of the time well not a a a majority it is very small amount of patients that have the disease and um if you don't it doesn't work then you're then you literally you you're not going to make any money off it and i think that's what drives this this research is the money because you have to pump a lot of money into it for these small amount of patients. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's just the way it works. Um, so gene therapy. Uh, so how it works is you're using, um, you have to use a virus, uh, usually a very, uh, a, a virus that can 
have you carry your gene that you want to, into the person and then it gets transcribed and translated and replaces the affected gene. So um, in most studies, they use these adeno-associated virus or AAVs. I'd say you've heard us talk about before. Um, and these are a group of small viruses that have been studied for use in the field for nearly four decades. So the adenoviruses are generally used because they're really efficient at um, introducing the gene you mm -hmm. want and they're really easy to manufacture and they don't really uh, induce an immune response in the patient. I think I think the only disadvantage to AAVs is that they have a relatively small capacity yeah. compared to some uh, genes that would, yeah. would have to be packed inside. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and thousand people have already received AAV-based gene therapies um, and they've been approved by the FDA. So um, I, we've already mentioned this previously, Luxterna. Yeah. Um, and then there's this other drug called Zolgensma. Um, and that's a treatment for spinal muscular atrophy. And as I just mentioned, Luxterna, it's used to, as a form of retinal dystrophy that can cause blindness. So these rely on this viruses and this, they've been treated a lot of times with them. And there's not been a huge amount of, there's not been a huge amount of side effects seen. So it's, it's kind of good to see. Um, and yeah, AAVs are also being used in the clinical trial of gene editing therapies, including those based on this popular CRISPR-Cas9 mm. system. Um, and the US uh, National Institute of Health has launched a program to study AAV vectors in the hope of fostering a gene therapy pipeline in which developers can simply swap a new therape therapeutic gene into the viral genome, treat a particular disease without having to conduct large clinical trials to establish safely. So it'd be great to that you just have your, um, it, it's just a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Come on, you can get there. <laughs> Do it. Do <laughs> it's it. just it's just a blank virus there that's well studied, well known about, and you can just like okay, you it's just like a system. You can look at it. You say okay, I want to use this virus. I'm going to insert my gene. I don't need to do all the safety because it's already huge amount of work has been mm -hmm. done into it. I just have to literally plonk my gene that I want to do and then test some of my patients. I don't need to check safety. So just this step alone would save a huge amount of money. Save a huge amount of time. Uh, and it's great to see more work into, in this area. Um, and this can be, as, as I said, large clinical trials are particularly difficult when it comes to treatment for rare genetic disorders. Um, but as researchers push to treat more conditions and improve the effectiveness of their therapies, there is a real, pre real and present concern in AAV gene therapy as more use of AAV dosing in human subjects, you might see more and more severe adverse events, including death especially in these conditions where their immune system is super suppressed, this, any kind of immune uh, activation because of these virus can cause death. And this is what caused it originally for people to move away from this area. So like trying to find new, even new gene uh, vectors or viral vectors or just better ways of suppressing the immune system so this doesn't happen is kind of what we need to do to try and improve this field mm -hmm. in the future. Um, the main concern used to be that antibodies against an AAV or its cargo will prevent the gene therapy from working or preclude the possibility of giving multiple doses. But more recently, researchers have realized that antibodies can stimulate the production of inflammatory molecules, activate cell death pathways, and trigger the development of killer T cells that will target 
the AAV containing cells for destruction, which is what not what you want because you want this to be expressed. So if the cells get destroyed, it's all for nothing. Mm-hmm. So researchers are trying to tackle this from different angles, but either reducing the immune response or using alternative viral vectors, as I said. Um, and this includes the humanizing the AAV genome to make it less likely to activate the immune pathway. So for example, in humans, when the DNA base C or cytosine, 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 I was like, is that right? <laughs> I was thinking back to my <laughs> biology. You can always say C. C, yeah. Um, it's followed directly in the genome, so it secrets by the base G, and is often ca- carries a chemical group called amethanol. Amethyl, sorry. Um, AVs have a higher percentage of CG groups without amethyl. Uh, a potential red flag to the immune system, which highlights it for destruction. So increasing the methylation of CG-rich regions decreases the activation of inflammation-promoting molecules called cytokines. Um, so this could help dampen the immune response to stop it happening. Um, so that's a smart way about it, right? Yeah, you, yeah. But the, you... the, other, uh, the alternative of this is that there's a, a potential trade-off with the same methylation if, if it's used too heavy, it will suppress the gene expression uh, and including that of the therapeutic gene. So you have to kind of have come to with a balance to try and stop that. So but you, don't, you don't want to interfere with some sort of epigenetics uh, expression stuff? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and other methods have included the use of drugs that become activated by gene editing or those that can be delivered by nanoparticles, which can act as immunosuppressants. So I think in the end, it's going to be likely a toolbox of strategies to tackle this problem. Um, it will also be important to develop tools to monitor potentially dangerous inflammation in difficult to access areas such as the brain. Because uh, most of these studies actually have been done in the eye, which is uh, immunoprivileged, privilege, which isn't the best way of studying if there's immune reaction or not. Un- un- so. unless, unless you're trying to cure an eye. Yeah, except if you're trying to cure an eye, yeah, that's it. Yeah. The eye is a, ge- a cheat code, it's the easy one to do. Oh yeah, yeah. well you're welcome to go to my lab and see how easy it is. I can do that easy. Um, so yeah, so this is like maybe the, pe- the potential reason why gene therapy, the limitations where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. So I went, well, I'm going to go into the sickle cell disease and talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just to give some background again about sickle cell disease, I think, have we talked about this already? I think I talk about sickle cell disease as a form of evolutionary protection oh, okay yeah. yeah yeah and you and we've definitely talked about hemoglobin yeah but maybe just to give some context what hemoglobin is of course because you need to know this for sickle cell disease and uh, it contains so our red blood cells they contain hemoglobin which is a molecule that is vital for the transport of oxygen around the body hemoglobin exists as a tetramere and practically all adult humans have hemoglobin a which consists of your two alpha and two beta subunits which are bound to the iron-containing heme group. Um, you know, just side note, <laughs> I would think, lo- looking at the, the hemoglobin... The molecule. The molecule okay. makes me believe it would be one of the reasons I think we do live in a simulation. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, go on. I'm interested now. Because it's just so, like, when you think about it, it's such a crazy molecule, how it exists and how it functions. is like, you would nearly need to come up with that to design a molecule that can bind to oxygen, okay. but not too much that it will release oxygen when it's necessary. Um, it's just like, how does, and then you have, you need iron. Like it have to, we have, 
happens that iron can bind this oxygen naturally in the environment and we need oxygen for respiration so we just there's a lot of like certain things that need to happen yeah but you had 13 billion years yeah maybe yeah but i just like it's just crazy it just seems like a crazy uh molecule to exist in the first place like how did it evolve but see but hemoglobin is what we mammals use yeah but this oh, is, yeah this is not the, this is not the just because we use evolution that's just because we use hemoglobin doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean that it's a peak is on the top of the evolutionary ladder of oxygen transportation. But everyone, every animal ne- needs... Some- every mammal has it. Every mammal. Yeah, the reptiles has a different blood composition. Uh, the insects have a different mm-hmm. blood composition. So, so if the hemoglobin would be the top of the top, creme de la creme, then you would expect yeah. every single species to be using the most optimal thing. And then it's like, oh yeah, maybe someone designed that. But because evolution found the different ways around yeah. it to fit the habitat, I think... There is no, we don't live in a simulation. I just, I can't, no. I, I don't it just know. seems like if you were like, okay, we need to come up with a way of transporting blood that it, it seems like, to, like, because it's so efficient at doing it, it's like you nearly would need to design, yeah. designed it. But it's interesting you mentioned that just briefly, because there is uh, crustaceans or crabs that have hemoglobin that contains uh, copper mm. and they have blue blood. Yeah. Um. When it's oxygenated, so that's another way. But it's not as efficient as using iron. Um. But yeah, I just think I actually was reading about it because I was like, how? D- I I was trying to find out with hemoglobin, mm-hmm. how did it evolve? And they reckon that, as I said, it's two alpha and two beta chains. They reckon that it was a it was a dimer. It was just two bo- two genes that duplicated. Oh. And then it became a tetramer, and then this happened to like give it a better function. So it was just a mutation. By accident. Yeah, that happened. And it just fitted ideally yeah, into the puzzle. Yeah, I think it helped. Yeah, I think that's what they were saying. It, um, it's really interesting. I, um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But like, see, you, we only know about the attempt, evolutionary attempts that happened and it worked. Yeah. You don't hear, you, we don't even know about all of these other genetic mishaps that happened that didn't fit the pattern and they were just kind of uh, dropped along the uh, evolutionary ladder, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you just need the one that works. Just need the one that works. Yeah, I do think you mentioned you talked about like this on another episode with the blood transfusion, yeah. like using non-human, non-hemoglobin-based blood transporters. Yeah, and yeah. it's very difficult. So I do think if you want to hear more, check that episode out. I think Tom went really in good detail about yeah, it. Thank so, you. Um, but yeah, so that was my. <laughs> no, it is interesting. No, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. It, mind uh, and it's very, so yeah, it's it, hemoglobin is so efficient. It's so hard to replace it, so hard to design it. That's just what I kind of want to highlight. Um, so, uh, yeah, so in just so as you, so I said, as I said, two alpha uh, and two beta subunits and the iron in infants, just that, that you know, um, or in children, or like when you're in the, womb mm-hmm. um important to know that the hemoglobin hemoglobin molecule it's actually made of two alpha chains and two gamma chains so you don't have your beta when um you're a child when this you're is the fetal hemoglobin yeah so this is your fetal and these are replaced by your beta chains as you get older mm-hmm. um because this is becomes a more efficient way of um transporting your oxygen around the body um the way the reason that is is because uh it to the gamma chains that this is called hemoglobin f mm-hmm. and it's like because uh it's more efficient at binding the oxygen so when the when the mother the oxygen is passing from the mother to the baby it'll actually 
bind the oxygen more efficiently so it'll take it off the other hemoglobin and then that's how the the baby is able to like get oxygen mm-hmm. um that's the way it works so that's why evolu- evolu- evolutionary wise we have a hemoglobin a. yeah but remember that anyways because this is going to be one of the ways that we're designed to treat um sickle cell disease so anyways sickle cell it occurs when a person inherits two abnormal copies of the beta globin gene um, so this mutated protein misfolds and assembles into fibrous aggregates and it results in these deformed red blood cells that cause painful and damaging obstructions in blood vessels. Um, and an attack can be set off by temperature changes, stress, dehydration, high altitude. And this in turn causes various acute and chronic complications, several of which have a high mortality rate. Yeah, exactly. These these people generally die at a younger age. Or are they on lifelong blood transfusion yeah therapy. which is always the an issue with having to get repeated blood transfusions yeah recent progress in gene therapy is now giving researchers the tool they need to tackle this disease at its molecular roots so sickle cell disease presents a near ideal opportunity to tap into the power of gene therapy because the disorder typically arises from a mutation in a single nucleotide in one gene Several clinical trials have demonstrated the therapeutic promise of manipulating the genome using viruses to deliver genes or CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology to counteract the damage wrought by the mutation that leads to sickle cell disease. And crucially, these technologies can be incorporated into existing protocols for a potent treatment called hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, Mm -hmm. which is um, super important right now because there's a huge shortage of eligible eligible donors in treating these patients so historically sickle cell disease acclaimed many lives in childhood uh, and advances in medical care means that people who are affected can now survive to middle age and a growing arsenal of drugs is helping these individuals to manage their pain and other symptoms effectively but right now the only long-term survival is transplantation with these hematopoietic stem cells uh, and this is these are bone marrow based progenitors of all blood type cells so you get one from a healthy and uh healthy individual and you have to match it to this person who has um the sickle cell disease and then then they'll produce the blood cells that don't have the mutation and that's the way you can cure it but that's the only way at the at the moment you can cure sickle cell disease and and you have to match uh, you have to match the sort of both groups together to avoid like a react to avoid like a reaction yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah and like this is again because you have to dampen the immune system if you mess this up you can cause death because they don't have any immune system if you amount an immune response it will ki- could kill the person um but so yeah h hematic poetic stem cell it is curative but there's one main obstacle to this as well difficulty in finding well-matched donors most people with sickle cell disease have African, Middle Eastern, or South Asian ancestry, and these ethnicities are heavily unrepresented in donor registries. So they reckon that the likelihood to find a match unrelated donor is below twenty percent. So Jesus. it's really low. Yeah. So that's why, like, to find a practical cure is very difficult. So gene therapy solves this problem by turning each patient into their own perfectly matched donor. Mm-hmm. So after treatment with a drug that stimulates the release of these stem cells. The cells are harvested and then they can be genetically modified in the lab. So the person that receives the chemotherapy will kill off the remaining natural hematic stem cells and then 
This creates the room for re-implantation of these modified stem cells uh, and then while also removing the ones that are still left that can cause the production of these red blood cells that can cause a sickle cell disease. Mm -hmm. So you do, so you, you, you give a drug to release the stem, the stem cells, yeah. the multiplicative stem cells, you collect them, you reprogram them, yeah. and then you obliterate the patient's own stem cell reserves yeah. and pack them with these new programs. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, that's how it's hopefully how it's meant to be. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. how it's meant to be done. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you don't even need to have a complete replacement as well. They say that just an infusion comprising just 20% of healthy uh, stem cells is sufficient to reverse dis the disease. So, like, you don't even need a super efficient. You don't need hundred percent to fix. No, okay. no. Like that's how efficient we are with our blood. That like just a even reduced amount can still have a huge uh, positive impact on the patient. Yeah. Okay. So, what gene therapies do they use? What do they do to the cells? So, there's two distinct tactics to overcome the effect of this mutation. One restores the expression of fully functional beta globin gene. This can be done by delivering a new copy of the gene to another site in the in the hematic stem cell hematopoietic stem cell genome, mm -hmm. or by, cor by correcting the mutated gene itself. The other approach is to instead restore expression of a different, naturally occurring protein. I had mentioned this: the gamma globulin that's used in hemoglobin F. So, in the months, as I said, as I said already, in the months after birth, this gene becomes. Uh, permanently switched off in most people but in 2008 a team at Harvard Medical School in Boston determined that a protein called BCL11A it direct, directly inhibits postnatal production of fetal hemoglobin and researchers have devised genetic interventions that can target this to stop the inhibition of hemoglobin F because like even having this hemoglobin F would still be huge more still way more beneficial than to have these red blood cells that are sickling and causing the problems that they do. And they also saw, show, seen that reactivation of this fetal protein will downregulate the production of adult beta globulin. So you're not going to have half hemoglobin F and half hemoglobin A. It will completely dampen down the beta globulin. So you'll only have this hemoglobin F, which oh, so is what you want. So there's a feedback mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you don't even have to interfere to inactivate the, the faulty gene. No, no. You just have to switch on the hemoglobin F. Yeah. And the beta gets. Oh, that's that's handy. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's literally just targeting this, um, as you know, like the 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 regulation proteins that downregulate mm -hmm. it. If you can inhibit them, then you can stop. Yeah. Um, you can actually increase the production of this hemoglobin. Researchers led by a hematologist, Marina Cavazana, at the Public Assistant Hospital in Paris. She did a collaboration with this biotech company called Blueberry Bio in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And they were the first to demonstrate the clinical feasibility of using lentiviruses to deliver a functional beta globulin gene into hematopoietic stem cells so this is the other one where you actually um introduce the beta gene the f a functional gene into the stem cells mm -hmm. to uh counteract the faulty one um they published a case report from one person um i suppose only one person but so it's not a huge amount but it showed that this person who had second cell disease who was successfully treated with gene therapy and has remained in good health since, and they're completely stable and have had 
no sickle cell episodes except from a really mild one after getting an infection. So that shows that there is promise in actually yeah. using this kind of technology. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, for patients to produce enough functional, fully functional red blood cells to keep them healthy, uh, researchers must be able to g- genetically modify a sufficiently large proportion of the harvested hematopoietic stem cells. Um, but this can be quite a tall order because pay- large payloads of therapeutic DNA, such as a huge, such as an entire human gene, which you would need to use in this beta gene for hemoglobin, um, it can reduce the efficiency of the lentivirus manufacturing process. And this means that fewer viruses can be produced. And then this end up, ends up that there's less uh, gene that's going to be transducted into the, the stem cells. Yeah. Um, and this, was hi- this problem was highlighted in an ongoing trial by the, this co- the company Bluebird Bio, in which the first cohort of participants experienced only modest improvements in their symptoms because there wasn't an efficient enough uh, transduction of the gene. I have to compliment you on the use of the right uh, words when you talk <laughs> when you're talking about viruses. It is indeed transduction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Luckily, it's <laughs> it. But it's a uh, it. Uh, so what's happening? The the cargo itself limits the yeah, number it's of because vi- it's so large. Right. You can't. You ha- you ha- do you want you, so you, when you're making the virus have when you're putting the the gene into the virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a large gene, so you want to make sure that it's completely there. But like, because yeah. it's so large, the the process of it being efficient is not going to be hundred percent. It's going to be much more reduced. So, okay, the amount that actually have the full gene will be less than you want. And then when you introduce that into the stem cells, again, there's not going to be a hundred percent. So it's like you're diluting it down each time. So you want to try and come up with ways of uh, it, it, when you introduce the gene that it happens a lot of the time. Um, this is this is what you want to see because it'll make it more efficient and it will work. And I assume this is why they this is why they use in the lentivirus because the gene is so big it couldn't exactly, probably fit yeah. into the AAV. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, they've actually managed to subsequently enhance the transduction protocol and have streamlined lentiviral vectors to boost performance. And now they're reporting that they can. Um, the, this genetic modification is present in 80 to 90% of the stem cells. So they've actually managed to improve it massively oh, wow. from where they were. And this approach has steadily gained momentum over the last few years. Uh, and this group, Kavazana's Kava, group, has treated three people in trials. Mm-hmm. And it has achieved robust improvement in sickle cell symptoms and keeping individuals out of a hospital, which would be great. And they don't need as much blood transfusions, which is the other treatment that they need. Um, and the, perhaps the most extensive evidence of efficacy so far has come from Bl- Bluebird Bio's current trial cohort in which 25 patients have undergone infusion with lentivirus-modified cells. Uh, and a hematologist and oncologist who's involved in the trials reports that treated participants are producing functional hemoglobin and seeing clear clinical benefits, such as not having to visit the hospital for pain relief. And it seems to be an effective therapy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, so we have already an uh, existing case of someone living with, living with hemoglobin F? Yeah, yeah. this actually, this is the next, uh, sorry, I, okay. I don't know why I mentioned it and I didn't give you an example. So this okay. is, com- in contrast to the other, this lentivirus um, trials, uh, the one with the hemoglobin F to reactivate it, they're d- delivering gene encoding a specifically designed RNA that inhibits the translation of the messenger RNA 
encoding this fetal hemoglobin inhibitor protein and they published promising results from a phase one trial of six people uh, with the exception of one patient who required special treatment for a pre-existing condition. None of the patients required transfusion and they have a hemoglobin that is now at the low end of normal. Uh, it's not a complete cure of sickle cell anemia, but it's a significant reversal. Yeah. Well, well, there, there's been proof of both sides working that uh, activating your hemoglobin F is working and also introducing this beta gene uh, in stem cells. I presume, I presume the people with the hemoglobin F, they will not go ahead and win Olympics? <laughs> no, definitely not. But it's, it's not the most efficient. That's why, yeah. as we, that's why we do switch to hemoglobin A when we're but, older. I, but I would take that over having these uh, sickle episodes exactly, when yeah. you go through I'm pain. To, yeah. I'm having to get transfusions of as course. well. Um, yeah, you mentioned you're going to be working with lentiviruses now, aren't, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Next pandemic coming out. <laughs> 2023, get ready. Yeah, so um, lentiviral vectors have a strong track record in gene therapy. I notes that hundreds of patients have gotten current generation lentiviral vectors into their stem cells for different diseases. Um, but nevertheless, integration into the genome is still largely random. And some researchers remain skeptical of lentiviruses because of their potential to cause unintended disruption in other genes. Potential, sorry, enthusiasm about gene therapy's potential for treating sickle cell disease has been tempered by recent safety concerns that have delayed multiple studies. In, in February, Bluebird Bio announced that it was suspending its trial after two participants from its sickle cell gene therapy were diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Uh, and initially, researchers suspected two potential causes, lentivirus induction activation of cancer-promoting genes or uncontrolled growth of bone marrow stem cells that were genetically damaged after surviving chemo. So this is the, the potential downside of using these virus vectors, and it's, it's still the issue that caused people to move away from it in the first place. You have these offside effects that can result in cancer, um, I mean, they are they are viruses at the end. Of I know. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Look, it's always about weighing up the the, the pen- benefits to the uh, disadvantages. But this is, but this is the nature of being a virus. The viruses, the the only role in the world they have is to be good at infecting cells with the DNA material they store inside. Yeah. So they are the best we have right now to deliver. Uh, if you have a well designed virus that works. This is the best thing. The, the, the proper gene. Yeah, to deliver deliver the cargo, you know, yeah. because like this is exactly what they were made to do yeah. by whatever evolutionary processes that you happen. You just have to design a way of making sure it's not yeah. off target. Yeah, because off-side. you already have this this perfect, uh, what is it, molecule? No, it's not a molecule, but it's not a living being either. But like you already have this per- perfect viral yeah. virus, viral pack- particle, they exist. And the whole purpose of being of being a virus is to infect cells. Yeah. So if you can just harness that power and tame it <laughs> to make it tame. safe, yeah, you know, yeah. Some uh, with this with these cases, subsequent investigations have offered some reassurance, but also have added complexity because um, when they did an data data analytics for um, in the in the investigation for these cancer patients, they noted that the tumor cells from one of the patient it lacked any lentivirus sequences potentially implicating the chemotherapy. But the cells of the second leukemia patient did contain a viral insertion, mm-hmm. but this wasn't a gene that had no known previous role in cancer. So again, this is like, okay, we never knew this would 
like how would we have predicted yeah. this ever happening yeah in this case where the there was a viral insertion um you can't blame the chemotherapy in this case it actually was because of um uh, the genetically modifying the cell with the the viral vector mm-hmm. so these findings are in keeping with the general robust safety record of lentivirus in gene therapy for other disorder disorders but they leave leave the cause of this acute myeloid leukemia as an open question they don't really know like and as well these are a small amount of cases of patients as well so as they when they did the investigation like um one was caused by chemotherapy one was caused by the viral vector in a gene that wasn't known for cancer Mm -hmm. both times you're like you can't really uh predict that so like how what do you do like how do you stop that it's it's very difficult yeah um trial and error i suppose but yeah um in in june this sorry this happened last year so i'm saying in june last year the the fda it gave the bluebird bio all clear to resume its trial and other pulse trials are now reopening but if the root cause proves to be an inherent problem with bone marrow of sickle cell patients lentivirus therapies could remain equally likely to result in malignancies so it's it's just such a thing that you need to be aware of is it, is it worth the risk? Um, they reckon the use of CRISPR-Cas9 editing technology could offer a safer option because it enables precisely targeted manipulation of the genome without the risk of random insertion events. But it's still unsure if this can also have offside effects and have an increased result for malignancy because there's not a huge amount of numbers of these tr- studies done. So now the one thing, if you have a, let's say you're working on CRISPR and you're presenting your data, one of one of the guarantee questions you're going to get on the conference you know. or something something like that, it's going to be, have you investigated the off-target effect? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the big risk with CRISPR. But the thing is, is like, you can be like, oh yeah, I've investigated and I've looked at all the cancer genes and it, there was no insertion. But then... <laughs> do the trial and someone gets cancer and you're like they it was inserted in some random gene that like it somehow triggered cancer mm. so so even if there is a link to cancer risk this will not be the end of the line for gene therapy and sickle cell disease um they're going to adopt in these trials they're saying they're going to adopt more rigorous screening for trial participants to look for genetic mutations that could lead to increased risk of cancer uh, and because the prognosis for sickle cell disease grows increasingly grim as individuals approach middle age, many could be willing to take their chances if there are relatively low odds of serious complications. Mm. So, like, what do you think? I think it's uh, promising? Enough done? Do we have more to do? Is this worth, worth massively increasing? I think it's a definitely problem that needs solving yeah. because if you have uh just let's just hype hype hypothesize here if you do get successful with sickle cell anemia uh curing the next diseases on the line would be you know the thalassemias and some other uh blood blood, uh qualitative blood disorders and quantitative blood blood disorders so like you we we really do need that that first uh 100% reliable milestone um i do like the crispr yeah i do like the crispr the um the hemoglobin F, the fetal hemoglobin, it it seems like the least efficient, <laughs> least <out> sexy of them. <laughs> well, yeah, least sexy. You want your yeah, you want your treatment to be sexy. You want it to be like completely changed. You don't like reintroduce the new one. But I think it seems to be the most simplest. It it seems the most simplest, but at the same time, you kind of 
you have to if you get if I think about it, if you get that hemoglobin F treatment, you have to leave the motorway and start using and start using like some side roads because yeah. you're not gonna be as efficient with that hemoglobin F, you know. The I suppose uh, if you had that choice. Y- yeah, yeah. Well I yeah, this is like strictly hypoth hypothetical hypothetical discussion where we can like, you know, yeah, yeah. throw things around. Of course when you are patient suffering from the disease, yeah, you will be happy with any sort of treatment that will guarantee you uh, relief from pain, yeah. right? Um, the uh, inactivation of the dysfunctional beta gene and replacement, that's a tricky one because I know this is being, like it's done in eye, but eye is so compact in one place whereas yeah. like blood is everywhere yeah, and yeah, yeah. you have to target the hematopoietic stem cells and it is, there's loads of things that can go wrong. But the thing I suppose, well, I still think even if you don't kill off all the old stem cells, as I said, you only need to increase like nearly 20% increase in the ones that are functional. You just want the therapeutic threshold to be reached. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I and don't know. Long term, I don't know how it'll uh, work. Um, if if you will, if the percentage of efficient or um, uh, yeah. the functional hemoglobin, if it goes down over time, um but you would have to have some long-term studies yeah. to monitor these patients yeah i think crispr especially i know there are like crispr uh cas systems that can correct uh mutations at the rna level so basically you still retain your mutation at the dna yeah. but you're receiving treatment at the rna level so it is a little it is safer from the perspective that you don't directly interfere with your dna you just do. You just have the, the RNA, RNA correction, which is a transient form of treatment, but That's it's what safer. They do with the hemoglobin F in this situation. Sorry, this is what they're doing with the hemoglobin F. They're only affecting the RNA, not touching the DNA. Yeah. So this is like if you want to be on the safe side and you safe side and you don't want to, to like permanently permanently alter your DNA, like that's one way. That's one way to do it. From what I've read about, or like I haven't done a huge amount of research into you're an expert uh, now on CRISPR, but I think that is a big problem they're coming across. I think this offside effects. So, um, is it going to be any more beneficial to the lentivirus uh, as it is now? I, but kind of interesting if they could do a side by side. Um, uh, I suppose they have such small numbers that's not gonna we won't be able to make significant conclusions or anything, but. And um, do you know when you were reading about it? Do do they do target these um, ethnic minorities that are suffering from these conditions, or do they just treat white men with? Sickness? I don't know. Okay. I honestly didn't read in. I just seen the numbers. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not getting into like. Okay. We're just wondering. Protesting on Twitter no. about why is all these <laughs> trials only white people? Yeah. But well, like generally, the, people with sickle cell disease are yeah. not white. <laughs> usually yeah. so i'm hoping that they had to like the white ones suffer from minorities uh, yeah the, wh- the white ones suffer from cystic fibrosis and stuff isn't it yeah, yeah. and they still haven't cured for cystic fibrosis just yet but um, i i would put my money on crispr it has it, it, sooner or later they will get there. It, w- it has to like yeah. this you know all of these molecular therapies that are being developed right now and it's great because you, you do want to have a, 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 a wide plethora of different therapies that you can use to fit and match the patient because uh, yeah, the, the patient presentation is also important when you select it. And you just said it yourself, to make the lentiviral therapy or any f- form of genetic therapy more safer, they will be screening this patient 
to as much as they can to select only those that are mm. suitable for this and this treatment. So, so this gene therapy becomes even more uh, yeah, exclusive or selective, even within the group of patients that are, that are said to suffer from the same condition, you know? So you do, you do need a lot of yeah. these different treatments. But having said that, I think, given enough time, this ed- the gene editing therapy will overtake and it will monopolize, I think. Um, yeah, let us know what you think. Um, you can reach out to us on uh, on Twitter at Skeptically I, uh, Instagram at Skeptically Inclined, and you can always email us if you have any papers or anything you want us to discuss, skepticallyinclined at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that was today's episode. We're going to have one more episode before the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And again, we're just going to do it like last season, just a bit of a fun discussion, nothing too serious. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be a good episode, just a bit of lighthearted fun. Um, yeah, so I yeah. hope you can join us for that, for our last episode of the season. I can't believe it. we've gone, how like how many episodes did we do this season? It's crazy. 20 S- Some really interesting guests. I think it was really, we had a good good time, I think. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was challenging, but uh, rewarding at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you if you know someone who has undergone gene therapy, do get in touch with us. Tell us about it. Tell us your experiences. Uh, we mentioned Luxtorna, so please visit the episode with Dr. Alex Garanto. Uh, that's where the Luxtorna treatment was explained. Have a fabulous uh, Saturday or Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Whenever you go- listen to this. Yeah, whenever you listen to this. And uh, yeah, this was skeptically inclined. Stay skeptical. Yeah, stay skeptical, guys. Bye. Bye.